Hey guys, what's up? This is the Grow Flow Podcast where we bring you the best interviews, insights, people, tactics, whatever you need to grow your licensed cannabis business. My name is Joe Stolte. I'm the Chief Revenue Officer here at Grow Flow, and I'm joined by this man over here. Travis Steffen. And today we're going to talk about something really great, which is success leaves clues, but failure does too. Now, you know, if you look around and you think about trying to manage, grow, scale your licensed cannabis business, there's like people that will sell you a playbook. Hey, here's something that worked for me. You know, you can do it too. Uh, and that's cool, but it doesn't actually teach you how to think. So I thought on today's podcast, we, we would just share because Travis and I are big at looking at like what, what other companies have succeeded and, and what other companies like, quite frankly, have like really failed miserably, like the worst possible form of failure. And you can sort of ask yourself, well, what's the opposite of that? And what and you somewhere in the middle of there, it just becomes really clear for you and your business, A, how to think for yourself, but B, um, how to really carve your own path out. So I just thought Absolutely. we'd start with that. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, first and foremost, you know, there are a lot of people out there that have been successful that are peddling advice. And I think it's important to know who you're taking advice from because the most deceptive part of this whole thing, yes, success leaves clues, failure does too. But oftentimes there are false clues there in the middle where um, let's say an entrepreneur hit a home run in their first at bat. And so they think that everything that they did is the way and they know the way now. And so they're trying to teach other people the way. What they don't necessarily realize is not all the things they're teaching are patternistic. So the really good gold where the success leaves clues is where the clues have shown up. Yeah. patternistically across multiple businesses. This is going to sound super name drappy, but I was on a call with uh, Evan Pagan and Pierre Diamandes, and mm -hmm. Evan was saying, you know, sometimes success is just about being right there before the wave and then like like hel helping people anticipate what's happening and then just ride the wave. Yeah. And so, which is cool if you know how to do that. It's incredibly hard to do. Um, but if you were able to do that, you sort of missed over learning all these lumps. Yeah. And you're like, you didn't have to really like eat crap yeah and like deal with it so like you're right and, and it's funny because we know this because in our world we see a lot of these people like in silicon valley like they have one exit and then they think not only are they like entrepreneur god mode but they think they're investor god mode yeah. and then they become investors and they you know they, they think you know, then they, don't, they don't even know what they're doing like they, they didn't know what they were doing they kind of got lucky they yep. certainly don't know what they're doing on the investor side yeah but you know they create this like success theater around what mm -hmm. they're doing and I think that's a theme. So yeah. when you look at like great companies, and I think one of the greatest companies ever created, however you measure it, is Apple. Mm -hmm. You know, and you can just look at the way they've moved. Right. And, you know, everyone said, oh, well, when Steve Jobs is gone, that place is going to crash and they're, the, the innovation engine is going to run out and they're doomed. Right. Well, I mean, if you look at the stock, I mean, I haven't actually looked and done the math, but I bet you they've grown by more since, Considerably. You know, since, since after he passed away, right? So, yeah. um, but I think there's so much in there. And I think when you compare them to, you know, we said success leaves clues and failure does too. If you compare mm -hmm. them to some of the world's greatest failures, right? like before uh, we started rolling, we were just talking about, I just rattled three off that were yeah. like three of the biggest failures that pop into my head are like, you know, like Fire Festival, yep. uh, you know, Bernie Madoff, yep. uh, Theranos. Yep. And then maybe like a fourth one that's like less obvious that we're talking about is like a blockbuster. Yeah. They had like every shot to succeed and they've like sure. just they were hell bent yeah. on failing. Yeah. I mean, and like the the couple others that pop in my head, Enron, obviously. Yep. MySpace. Yep. You know, yeah. a couple of those that that uh they shot up for a while there. 
And then it was a house of cards. They had their shot for sure. Yeah. Well, it's interesting is like with Theranos, Fire Festival, and Enron, the the thing that really got them in trouble when you study these things, and all of these have documentaries on them now. Right. So it's yeah. like you can just Netflix it or whatever, and you can just you can get like a 90-minute case study that's moderately entertaining on like exactly what not to do. Right. But like this whole thing of success theater, where it's like if I tell a big enough story and I present like a fictional reality uh, long enough, it will give me time to catch up. Mm -hmm. uh, but what happens when the catching up never happens is the lies have to get bigger and bolder. Oh, and, yeah. and, and, it, and it doesn't start like, I bet you it doesn't start with uh, like a big lie. It starts with like bending the truth a little bit once yep. and then they get a little dopamine hit and people reward them with more attention or sure. investment capital. Yep. And then it just balloons. Yep. And then and then they have to double down like to make the lie real. Like I, I, I've heard this before, uh, fact check me, but I'm pretty sure uh, Bernie Madoff was like the head of the investment ethics committee and he started it. Yeah, like, I think for the like the New York Stock Exchange or something yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> so like talk about doubling down on your lie, yeah. right? And so and that's so that's failure. I mean, those all of those were like go to jail failures. Mm -hmm. um, and then if you look at like Apple, mm -hmm. and Apple's the opposite. Apple is like we're not going to tell you anything about what we're building until it's like perfect and ready and yep. beautiful and and then we're going to make a big deal about telling you about it. And then they just build up this amazing launch event. And then right when you're getting tired of that product, like, like you can literally just chart the sales. As soon as they like the parabola trends down, they're like, here's another product. Like, and they just yep. keep doing this. So they're like smooth doers, not smooth talkers. Yeah. And I think one of the clues that that success leaves, to be honest with you, is like, if you took this table right here, you could probably put every single Apple, Apple product on the market today on that table. Yeah. Like yeah, that's yeah, yeah. that's the shocking part. Now, if you tried to go against one of their competitors, who's arguably very successful, Samsung, you couldn't fill a hundred of these tables with their products. <laughs> that's right. And Apple's worth way more. And how do they do that? One, yes, they have like a ruthless bar for quality and talent and et cetera. Um, but it's also focus. You know, yeah. it's being able to go as deep as possible on one problem and to solve it better than anybody else in the world. Even though your price point kind of ensures that you're only scratching the top of the market, that's a strategy that yep. they chose. Well, and and it's, that's right. It's radical simplification. Mm -hmm. And if you look at that, it's not just radical simplification, it's radical simplification over decades. Mm -hmm. Like that's a principle they have not lost sight of. Because if you remember like, that's a really good point because like whatever, when John Scully was in, like they got rid of jobs and you know, this guy like blew up the product portfolio. What like what's the first thing they did when they fired him and brought back Steve Jobs? Yeah. He just looked at the product portfolio and was like, We're trashing 80% of this. Yeah. And then we're just gonna roll out stuff that matters and keep right. it tight and be the best in the world at it. So, you know, this is like a you don't even have to go to like get your MBA. You can just like look and pay attention and sort of see these little patterns and yeah. apply them to your business. And we've talked about these things in the past, like rattle radical simplification, like don't have a thousand SKUs, you know, right. like that's, that's trouble because right. there's an 80, 20 in there and the 80% yeah. that aren't selling are worthless. You're going to at best become very mediocre at all of them. If yeah. not degrees of bad at all. Of them. Yeah. You might be a one-stop shop for everything that you need if you need bad of everything. Yeah. You know, so, and, so and, and it's, it's easier to say it than to do it. Right. Like yeah. we're, we're going through this right now. Sure. Right. Like oh we, yeah. We, it's gotta, a practice. Like yeah. it's constantly a practice of, of being able to say no. Like, I think the best entrepreneurs in the world have the ability to say no. I mean, there's like a famous story that um, uh, Noah Kagan put out there 
uh, at one point when he was working at Facebook and he brought Mark Zuckerberg a really, what he felt was a really great idea. And what Mark Zuckerberg felt was also a really great idea. But Mark Zuckerberg said, okay, Noah, how does this idea translate to us getting from X to Y in terms of active users on the platform? And he said, I guess it doesn't. He said, okay, we can't do it. You know, and just that barometer of like, this is the one metric that matters. Yeah. And choosing a path and going all in and squeezing every ounce of juice out of that piece of fruit that you possibly can that's in there. Yeah. You know, that's, I think, um, you know, especially if you're in a, like a product differentiation or a focus kind of strategy, we're being better. So as a cannabis company, for example, let's say you're running a cannabis company and um, you're a processor. Would it not be one incredible strategy to say, I am going to be better at, you know, this specific type of like indica edible gummies. Mm -hmm. It's going to taste better. It's going to be more reliable. The packaging is going to be the best on the market. We're going to get to know our customers and the language that they use to describe their problem better than anybody else can so that this sticks out as like if someone's making a choice out of like five products, ours is the clear winner just from optics, from research, from everything. 100%. Same thing with Cultivator. You know, you, you guys just went and visited a farm. It's like generational flower growers. Yeah. And then, you know, like the, the observation that you made was that, you know, their whole family, or maybe it was Zach made the observation, our mm-hmm. CTO, you know, like the whole family lived in like middle-class homes and drove whatever cars. And now this guy just took the same principles. Like they got, they got world-class at growing flowers like yeah. as a category. Yeah. And he just switched the flower to the cannabis flower. And, yeah. you know, he's doing a lot. You know, he drives a Lamborghini and has yeah. more money than God. It's and, like $2 million a month operation, I would say. <laughs> it's like, yeah. but, but that, you know, he's just basically um leveraging that focus yeah that generational focus that his family already had and he's like well i'm just going to shift that laser beam to a higher set like a, a better set of resources over here yeah. and make a lot more zeros and we asked him too we asked him like why aren't you why don't you have like other licenses downstream why aren't you doing processing and manufacturing and distribution he's like he's like i'm this is simple and it's working very very well like why yeah. change it I, he's like i have to grow the crop i have to harvest the crop and then i sell it in bulk yeah he's like we're doing just fine but when you, if you find yourself in a place where you've already got a lot of complexity in your like product mix, for example, then mm-hmm. the hard part is actually just doing it and saying no and simplifying and, and having the faith that it will work out. Mm-hmm. Because it's one thing to believe in the principle that simple is better yeah. and that complexity kills. But it's another thing to actually take the action and slash your skews or do the thing that you need to do in your business to reflect that principle in the business. Yeah. You know, sometimes you have to kill products and, and like let go of departments and change sure. directions and the short term is going to be less money or right. less income. But you know, you ha- if you believe in the principle, like the, the, the effects come over the long run. Like if you're playing the long game, mm-hmm. you know, you're just going to burn yourself out if you don't do that. So all I'm saying is it's, it's much easier to do it than it is to talk about it. Yeah, and I, honestly, I've found that- um, Sorry, it's much easier to talk about it than it is to do it. Right, right, right. I've found like when I've fallen prey to this in the past, it's been more of like a fear-based mindset. Like I've been hedging um, because I'm afraid that if I go all in on one thing and it fails, I've just wasted a tremendous amount of time and I have to start from scratch. Well, now at the same time, let's say I'm not reaching my goals and I'm doing four things at once. How do I know what to fix? There's now like exponentially more complexity going on with so many different possible points of failure that I would have to spend at least four times as much time exploring. Um, and then when I do that, I'm ignoring all these other critical parts of these businesses that are working. Mm-hmm. Now, in contrast, if you've got radical simplification, 
and you're only doing one thing and you're testing one hypothesis at a time, you know exactly what fails and you know what to pivot to. Like the whole uh, legendary rent the runway store story where they're basically saying, hey, let's figure out if people want to rent clothes at a trunk show. Yes, they'll do it. Okay, let's see if people want to rent clothes that they can't try on. They put the trunk show in glass cases. Yes, they'll do it. Let's see if they, they'll do it when they can't see them in person. They did a catalog. Yes, they'll do it. And just going through, and as soon as they hit a no, they knew exactly where the fail point was and they could just shift gears. Like you can't do that if you have, like going back to the fire festival, like this is the first time these guys were throwing a gigantic concert like this in an area that never had concerts with no infrastructure and all these different, like they had to have uh, lodging and food and bands and deal with the weather and have all these different things on their first time within a compressed timeline. Are you kidding me? Yeah. Like one thing fails, every domino falls. Well, you know, what's funny is, uh, you know, our friend Kevin Smith, mm. he doesn't, he did an event on the same island. He's been doing it for a few years, <laughs> a small, like 10 people, like a mastermind, very curated. And, you know, Kevin has an agency, amazing agency called the, the number project. And mm -hmm. they, this guy's like, the definition of the tension detail he's like the steve jobs of events or whatever right and so he was actually there like preparing for another event and he saw them and their team and they're like yeah the event's coming up in like like three months yeah. he's like oh well where are you getting the this and the this and the this and the this they're like well we, we haven't really thought about that he's like well you know it takes like 45 days to ship it here and you know you need to get like and then he just walked away and i remember i just happened to call him he's like man i just run of these guys at the island and they're doing this big event and man it is going to be really bad wow and then it wasn't until after the fact that i connected the dots like a year later and i talked to him, he's like oh yeah that was fire festival <laughs> so but, but he's so like he's like radical simplification he's like yeah. how do i create the best event for 10 people ever right not like how do i go tell a bunch of lies and get like yeah. kylie jenner or whatever you know yep. like just inflate the hot air balloon that's it's funny that you mentioned that too because i think in a lot of the patternistic failure i've seen it's people who have the success theater, but they're borrowing from the credibility of the people who haven't done that. Oh, so yeah. for example, you, you mentioned all the influencers that tweeted about that event. If you go to Theranos, you got Adriana Huffington, you've got every single billionaire in the world that's like, we believe in this idea, it's gonna change the world, et cetera, et cetera, not knowing that they hadn't actually accomplished it. Yeah. You know, and they've got all these huge contracts that they're leveraging off one another with Walgreens and CVS and all this stuff. And like all these names, if you're from the outset, if you're like a, a newbie investor or you're even like a, a new fund and you're like, okay, well, all these other massive names, of course, they have to know what they're doing. Like, why don't we just put money in and just trust all these million? Like they can't all be wrong, right? Right. Same thing with Bernie Madoff, like the New York Mets invested in them. You know, like all Every, these different, everybody, everybody invested yeah. in them. And That's because everybody, everybody invested, invested in Yes, exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's one of those things where like, yeah, you can... You can skyrocket temporarily um, if you leverage the credibility of others, but if you don't have that first step locked down and you can't deliver, like it is the product version of a Ponzi scheme. You know, I, was, I, I think a lot about this success theater thing because in, in, the, in the world where we came from, Silicon Valley, venture back mm -hmm. tech stuff, mm -hmm. like there's a lot of this. One of the things that I've observed in most of the cases when you see this, it's probably success theater. Mm -hmm. If VCs, if you're listening to this, you should totally pay attention to this, especially if you invest in B and later. If the founder is already like acting like a persona before they've had the success, that's like it. That don't do that. Don't even yeah. touch them with the tenth of pole because you can see it. You can see it with what's her name, uh, the Theranos. What was her Elizabeth Holmes? Yeah. Well, she was basically like more 
excited about acting like Steve Jobs and yeah. taking making great products. With the turtleneck and everything. Yeah. And so if yeah, so if you look at like all these people that are that have done the success theater, like they're more interested in playing the character than they are in in like substantiating the success. Right. And these things are related because back to this idea of of simplicity, um, when things are simple, you don't mistake activity for outcomes. Yeah. When they're complex, there's so much activity that it feels like an outcome. Yeah. It feels like it's real because everyone else is investing and it feels like it's real because everyone is saying she's the next Steve Jobs and she wears a turtleneck or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like if, it, but, but it's, that's not it. Like where are the outcomes? Right. So at some level, it's more about the outcomes than the hand, the hand waving. Yeah. And, uh, but just to, just to bubble it up, yeah. like, we're kind of on this success theater complexity thing. What these are these are huge lessons that you can take for your business. Also, you can literally just look at the best companies and the worst companies and just identify patterns. Yeah. Even if you don't think it's a pattern, just write it down. Right. Because that's called original thinking. And yeah. it's the 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 CEOs and founders and team members that are capable of original thinking are the ones that are going to sustain, change the game, and build long-lasting, highly profitable organizations over the long run. Definitely. Period. I mean, I think the the one of the patternistic things between the successes and the failures is like the failures to me, they will keep their fears and their failures to themselves. Mm -hmm. And they will keep that so close to their chest that no one hears about it at all. No one knows about it at all. Um, so no one thinks it's happening. And they also don't get help. Now, yeah. if you, for example, call your investors and you say, hey, we're experiencing this problem. Do you know anyone who has solved it? You know, you don't have to, like investors are smart enough to, to be able to say, I know that not every, like no business on earth experiences zero problems. Yeah. So yeah. like if you enlist them as like thought partners, then you can solve these problems a lot faster than you think. And they're not just going to be like, oh, you're experiencing a problem. We're going to pull our investment and you can go curl up and and fizzle totally. away as a company. Like it's just totally. not going to happen. They're invested in your success. Yeah. They know things are going to happen. Like we call our investors all the time. We're like, um, our comp plan for our customer success team needs revision. Do any of your portfolio companies have one that is working really well that we can borrow? Yeah. You know, things like that. And, yeah. and they're like, absolutely. Let us connect you with, you know, this, this uh, leader on this team. And they've got like 30 different portfolio companies that each of them have cracked a different code and they all share information. Yeah. You know? Well, it may not be our comp plan. It may just be that like we're the only people that are good at making customer success people in cannabis. That's why they keep getting stolen. Yeah, yeah. There's that. <laughs> I mean, like, uh, but anyway, different topic for a different day. So, to bring it all back home, one of the easiest ways that you can scale your business over the long run is to study success and study failure, because inside of that, you're going to learn to think for yourself, and that's certainly something that we've learned mm -hmm. the hard way over mm -hmm. the last ten or twelve years. And uh, we thought it would serve you from watching this. But as always, if you want to hear something else on the podcast, if you want to be on the podcast, feature your business on the podcast, whether you're a GrowFlow customer or not, if there's someone that you think we should be interviewing, definitely hit us up, Growflow, podcast at growflow.com. And uh, you know we'll get back to you and we'll make it happen. So any final thoughts? Just to close the loop from the, the very first thing I said, um, if you're going to take advice, from anybody out there, gurus, entrepreneurs, anything like that, um, make sure that you're looking at people who have succeeded patternistically. They've succeeded multiple times. Uh, for example, you know, one of the companies that a lot of people use, most people don't talk about as a thought leader in the industry, Medium. Medium is run by one of the Twitter founders. And the Twitter founders did some things that didn't work before they did Twitter. And that 
serves medium incredibly well. And that's why it was so heavily adopted so quickly. It's why it's become, you know, one of the backbone backbones of the blogosphere. And you don't ever hear about them like blowing up in the press or anything like that. And it's because these guys have seen what not to do. And they've seen what to do in a very visible, publicly traded, uh, under the microscope way and could use those things going forward. So if you look at the people who have who are screaming from the rafters, do these things like look into their resume, figure out have they succeeded once? Have they succeeded several times? Have they ever failed? And if all those things, like if they haven't succeeded several times and they haven't failed, you might want to look for somebody else to listen to. Well said. All right, everybody. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much.